We're in the midst of a very trying situation. Right now, all the major cities of the world are shut down. Virtually no one is flying anywhere, and everyone is basically in their homes. Most people across the United States are doing what is called sheltering in place. Now, if two months ago someone woke you up out of a deep sleep, they shook you awake, and they described the situation that I just described, you would have thought you were still sleeping, that this was a dream, that this was maybe even a nightmare. Or you might have thought that, well, what is this? Is this the end? Is this the end of the world? To top off the situation that we're dealing with, many people are suffering with this coronavirus situation uh, that, that is going across the earth. And everyone is dealing with this coronavirus in one way or another. Your lives have been shut down. The economy in many ways has been shut down. And we're dealing with the fallout from all of it. And so many questions arise from this very unique situation that we're in. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? It's never happened before. I mean, yes, there's been plagues. There's been the Black Death that swept through Europe and all those kind of things. Yeah, we can study history. But as far as everyone that I know of that's older than me and younger than me, no one has ever experienced any type of situation like this. So why is it happening? Why are we being in this quarantined situation? What's going to happen after this? How will our lives be affected going forward? Nobody knows all the answers to those questions accurately, except for one person. One person knows the answers, and his name is Jesus. One of the answers that we know from Scripture is that God will ultimately be glorified. Right. One way or the other, in this situation, God will be glorified. God is working, and he is working through this coronavirus situation. Another thing we know from God's Word is that in each and every situation, God has a measure of grace for you. He has a measure of grace for me in each and every moment, in each and every situation. So there's a measure of grace. God's grace is available for every single person in every moment as we deal with this situation. These are just some things that we learn just from Scripture. I don't know what your specific situation is right now, but I know one thing that is for sure. You need God's grace. You need God's grace. We are in the midst of this situation with coronavirus, and we need God's grace. We need God's grace to come to bear upon this situation. Amen? We need God's grace in this situation. And he is bringing it, and it is available. You may be dealing with other issues besides coronavirus. I mean, it seems like coronavirus in many ways has kind of overtaken our 
lives. But you may be dealing with other situations. You may be dealing with other sicknesses that have no relationship to coronavirus, other issues that have no relationship to coronavirus. And those are just more examples of how you and I need the grace of God. We need the grace of God in our situation. There may be someone watching, and if you're being honest, you would admit that you're not close to the Lord right now. You're not close to God. You're far away. And you need the grace of God in your situation. We're going to take a look at a text this morning, and it's a situation where someone needed the grace of God and where someone's situation that was a bad situation turned into an opportunity for God's glory to be seen, for his work in this world to be seen. Jesus comes along the path of this man who was born blind. And in a way, as we look at the story, this particular story, this account in John 9, that's kind of how we all are. We all are born blind, maybe not physically, but we're born blind spiritually to the spiritual needs that we have in our lives. We are born blind to the, our need of God's grace. We're born blind to our need of God's love. And here's the reality. Jesus comes across our path, and he offers us his love. He offers us his grace. And he looks at us, and he says, your life is an opportunity for my work to be seen and for the Lord Jesus to be glorified. So the account we're going to look at, I believe, brings these important truths to our attention. And we need to be aware of them. We need to understand them and we need to remember them. First, that God sees us. Number one, first, God sees us. And second, God wants to work in our lives if we will let him. And so let's look at this passage this morning and open our hearts to God's word. First, God sees you. Let's look at John chapter nine. Pick it up, verse one. It says this. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. My friend, God sees you. God sees you. Jesus came across this man, came down this particular way on this particular day, and the text tells us that he saw a man. Jesus saw a man who was born blind. This man had been born blind from his birth. And before we get into that, I want you to think about that first part of the verse. Jesus saw a man. This man was a blind beggar, and he had probably been in the place where he was or in close proximity to that place 
for most of his life and just begging and asking for other people to meet his needs because he had this particular infirmity. And he had been there so long that probably most everybody that was there no longer even saw him. He just probably blended in to the background of that entire scene. But this text says, John chapter 9 verse 1 says, when Jesus came by, Jesus saw a man. Jesus saw a man who was born blind. Now, we have all felt ignored in our life. Raise your hand if you felt ignored. You know, you go in to try to get something done, get something happening, you feel ignored. We've all have felt this in our lives. We feel like we get ignored. Perhaps some of you feel like that all the time. Sometimes I, I, I definitely feel like that from time to time. Do you feel ignored this morning? Hopefully not. There was a quote in a, a major newspaper in the United States about being ignored. And it, here was the quote. Quote, in some stores, you have to wait on yourself and in others, they hire salespeople to ignore you. <clears throat> so we've all felt ignored in some way. And Jesus was actually fresh off of, if you go into the context of this passage, at the end of John chapter 8, he had revealed to a group of people that he was the great I am. And they literally tried to stone him. They literally picked up stones to throw at him. And the text tells us that he slipped away through their midst. And here he comes to the next place and he sees a man. He sees a man. So many are familiar with one of the names of God. Of course, God's name is Yahweh, but he also has many other names that describe his character and his attributes. One of the names that many Christians are familiar with, and maybe even non-Christians have heard of this name, is the name for God, Jehovah Jireh, right? Have you heard that? We used to sing a song, Jehovah Jireh, my God will supply all your needs, right? And so it's this idea of God providing for the needs of his people. But the actual meaning, meaning of this name for God is that God, the God who sees, the God who sees. In fact, where we see this uh, name for God, we, we find it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 14. I'll read it in the New King James Version. It says this, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. But then I want to read it to you in the King James Version. In the King James Version it reads this way, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. It shall be seen. See, in order for God to be your provider, he's got to first be the God who sees. And the way that he provides is, the, is based on the reality and the fact that he sees you. Just like he saw this man, just like Jesus walked by this man that was born blind, 
and he saw him, he sees you this morning, he sees you this morning, and he sees me, and because he sees you, he will be your provider. He will be your provider. God sees your situation. Maybe you feel like this morning that God doesn't see. Maybe you're looking at this coronavirus situation and you say, well, where is God in the midst of all this, this situation? Maybe God doesn't see. Maybe he's not intervening. And I want to just rest everyone assured that God sees. God sees this situation. His eye is on it. And God sees your situation this morning and his eye is on you. And so God sees and therefore knows what you need. He knows, most importantly, that you need his grace. You need the unmerited favor of the Lord this morning. He knows that you need him. And he's going to provide what you have need of and give it to you if you'll receive it from him. If you'll receive it. Will you open up your hand to receive what God wants to give you. So the passage goes on. Jesus sees the man born blind. And the disciples also see the man there. And the disciples go philosophical on the situation. The disciples ask the fundamental question that is asked about suffering. They didn't exactly ask it like this, but I want to ask it like this. Why is there suffering? This is the question. This is the question that everybody wants to know. It's referred to as the problem of suffering, or some refer to it as the problem of evil. Uh, C.S. Lewis referred to it and called it the problem of pain. And it is a, a sticking point for many skeptics and atheists. In fact, a lot of atheists will say, this is one of the big reasons why I do not believe in God. Because if there is an all-loving, all-powerful God, why is there suffering in the world? Now, to answer the question and allow the Christian to answer it, the, the skeptic has to allow the Christian to answer from a Christian biblical worldview. And the Christian biblical worldview answer to that question, why is there suffering, is, first of all, that God has given every single person free will. There's free will in the world. We have been given the right to choose. We've been given the right to determine our lives and to make decisions about our lives. And for that reason, we know from Scripture that mankind chose sin. They chose to sin. And therefore, once the decision was made to choose sin, that actually death and suffering was also chosen. Because a part of the, the, the commandment, the commandment said, in the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And so suffering is a part of man utilizing their free will. And we've ultimately, every single person has cho chosen to sin, chosen to disobey God. And that is why they're suffering in the world. Now the disciples give answers to the question within their question and they give their answers according to their first century Jewish understanding. They say, well, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or because of his, his parents' sin? 
Certainly, sin is the reason, and Jesus, we want to know, why was this man born blind? Was it his sin, or was it his parents' sin? Now, this brings up a couple of things here, and the reality of our lives as people is that we are born into sin. The Bible does tell us that we're born into sin. When David wrote Psalm 51 after he had grievously sinned against God, and he writes this psalm, it's a psalm of really repentance and asking God for restoration, he says in Psalm 51 verse 5, he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, his blindness could be, in that sense, the result of his sin. Or the, the, the disciples want to know, well, was it a result of his parents' sin? And the reason why they might come to that conclusion is because they might think of what's written in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, where it says, For I, the Lord, Yahweh God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is another verse of Scripture that might get a lot of people hot and bothered. Now, wait a second. You mean that is God really saying that he's going to visit the sin, the iniquity of parents onto the generations that follow, onto the third and fourth generation? Certainly, God, is that really what it means for God to declare himself a jealous God? Is, this couldn't be what it is? And the answer is no. This is not what it is. God is not just saying, well, your, your father sinned or your grandfather sinned or your great-grandfather sinned, and therefore you have this result in your life. That is not what it means when, when God is declaring himself to be a jealous God in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It is saying, and it means that God doesn't change the rules for successive generations. The rules, the laws that he decrees to one generation are the same things that he would say to the su subsequent generations, to the second generation, to the third generation, and so on and so forth. And so he is going to, to visit, to deal with, to convict, to judge every generation according to the same standard, according to the same set of principles in terms of what is sin. And so it, it, I, I don't think it's, um, so Jesus comes, so th those are the two understandings that the disciples would have had and looking and actually having what they would think of as having some scriptural support. Well, you were born in inequity, so it's, it's our sin and this guy's sin has caused him to be born blind or perhaps it's his, his parents' sin or his great-grandfather or whatever because God visits the, 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 the generations uh, in that way. And Jesus answers those questions that the disciples have with a, disciple, a, a decisive no. The answer to the question on this occasion is no, neither this man sinned or his parents. He was not born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin. Now, one of the things that we can learn from this is that when we look at infirmities, when we look at perhaps even defects or whatever it is, we need to realize that this is not necessarily because of someone's sin 
or because they've, they're, they're just in, in, in you know, uh, wanting sin before God. And the reason why I feel like I need to say that is because this is something that people, um, uh, it's, a, it's a theology that people have and that they will literally tell people like, well, you'd be healed, brother, if, 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 you, uh, if you weren't in sin, you know? Must be something going on there. Must be something where you're sinning. Well, the truth, the reality is that we're all sinning, whether we're sick or we're healthy. Uh, we, 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 are all, we are all sinners, but sin, it does not necessarily, uh, lack of health does not correlate to someone's specific sin. And this is a dangerous position to take, and it's, I don't believe it's scriptural. So, what is going on in this situation? What is going on with this particular man? This is happening. Jesus answers. He says, the reason for this man's condition, Jesus says, is so the works of God would be revealed in him. This man is in this situation so that, that the work of God would be seen and revealed in this situation. Everyone who endures suffering should be comforted by these words. Have you suffered? Are you suffering right now? Then you need to be comforted by these words right now. Because if you're going through a situation, if you're suffering, if there's some type of a situation in your life that you're having to deal with, I want to tell you this, that it's an opportunity for God to minister to you, number one, and it's an opportunity for his work to be revealed in you and for his name to be glorified. And so we need to really kind of take a different look a diff, have a different perspective when it comes to suffering in our lives and perhaps negative things, negative situations that come into our lives as people. We, we, we want to have, you know, it, nobody wants to have suffering. No one wants to have wrong things done to them. No one wants to be treated or mistreated or ignored or whatever it is. No one wants that in their life. But we need to, and I think this passage would teach us today that God wants to use every situation like that in your life for his work to be revealed in your life. So the question really is, what does God want to do in your situation? What, what uh, shade of grace does God want to bring into your life this morning, today? There, in some way, God, if you'll let him, will be glorified in your situation, even in your suffering. You just have to receive God's grace. The purpose to glorify God may be may manifest in many years. It's believed, most scholars believe that this particular man was probably about 30 years old. Now, if you can stop this morning and imagine being born blind and growing up the first 30 years of your life, you're just blind. You've never seen anything. You can hear, you can touch, you can taste, but you've never seen. And a lot of times when we read scriptures, we read passages and we want to, we, we think that God you know, we see in the Bible and we think God works quickly, you know, and, 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 and there's no time frame. We look at the story, we read the story of Joseph in one setting, 
you know, he was sold into slavery, and then he spent the time in the, in the prison after he was framed with Potiphar's wife in that situation. And then, boom, the next thing you know, he's being called out of the dungeon in Egypt and called up into, into Pharaoh's court, which you don't realize that that was about 20 years of time that Joseph was dealing with this situation. This man in John 9 was probably had been dealing with this for 30 years. And so the point here is that we don't lose heart, that we keep putting our lives, our situations before the Lord. God's work is going to be revealed and seen in your life and in your situation if you'll allow him, if you'll open up your heart, if you don't um, shut off your heart to the grace of God, if you don't allow that suffering and the lack of an answer to it that you perhaps wanted from God to allow a root of bitterness to come up into your life that the writer of Hebrews will say that will prevent you from receiving the grace of God that you need for that situation. And on top of it, for the glory of God to be seen and God's works to be revealed in you. So this is an important thing. We need to be reminded in this situation that God is working in our situation. We, mean, we may not know how or when God will glorify himself through our suffering, but we need to be humbly submitted to God's will and his timing. Romans 8.28. Hey, if you're not familiar with this passage as a believer, get familiar, amen? Romans 8.28, as we know, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then the writer of Hebrews, this is the verse that I just mentioned earlier, Hebrews 12, verse 15, I'll read it in the NIV. It says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Our suffering gives Jesus an opportunity to work in our lives. And so instead of looking at your situation and the suffering that you're in as a complete negative, as a complete downer, as a complete thing that like, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. I want you to flip that on its head right now because of the word that you've heard right here that God wants to work in your situation, that God sees you just as he saw this man walking by him that day and he is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who sees and it shall be provided and he will be glorified in your situation if you will open up your life to receive the grace of God that he wants to pour out into your life. So first, this morning, God sees you. The second point is this, God wants to work on you. Let's look at it, verse six. It says this, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. God sees you and God wants to work on you. God wants to work on you, believer. 
God wants to work on you, Christian. And if you're not close to the Lord right now, God wants to work on you. Will you let him is the only question that remains. Jesus went right to work on this man. He saw the man. He answered the disciples' question, questions, and he went right to work on this man. But the tactic seemed a little odd. This man was blind, and Jesus makes a clay pl pl plaster. He, Jesus spits into the ground. Can you imagine Jesus spitting? Hey, Jesus did all kinds of stuff. <laughs> did people, it's recorded in Scripture, you know? He overturned tables and got out a whip and called people snakes and spit in the ground. And on this occasion, he spit in the ground. And he took that spit, that saliva, and he made some mud. And he made some clay. And he took this clay and he put it up in the eyes of this man. Now you're thinking to yourself, the man's born blind. If you're going to help him out, how are you going to help him out? By putting some more stuff on top of his eyes. Right? You're going to put some clay on top of his eyes like a, you know, like a plaster on the wall. Like what do they call that? The wall putty or the, the sheetrock or whatever. The, you know, I, I can't remember it. But anyways, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to put that on it. You're going to put some clay on his eyes. Now he really can't see even if he could see. a couple of commentators that believe that this really shows Jesus is showing the condition of every single person in this situation. Without Christ, we're completely blind. We've been, we've just literally had mud caked upon our eyes and we can't see. But God wants that to be washed off. He wants us to be healed. And so what he tells this guy, he says, now go and wash. Go and wash. And he sent him to a particular place called the Pool of Siloam. And it means sent. So God sends him to be washed in the Pool of Siloam. And the text says that he came back seeing. He came back seeing. Now, chances are if you were that guy and Jesus came across your path that day and spit in the ground and created some plaster, some clay, whatever, and put it in your eyes, that you probably would have had somebody help you and find your way to the pool of Siloam. But my question is for you today, Jesus is coming across your path right now. He is speaking right to the center of your heart. And if he came to you and he did that specific thing, would you do what he's called you to do? Would you obey the command that this guy obeyed. This guy went to the pool of Siloam and was washed and he came back seeing. Would you obey the Lord? Would you open up your heart to receive what God wants to do in your life? Would you open your heart this morning to receive him, to believe and to receive and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who can heal blind eyes, the one that can heal disease, the one that healed the lepers, the one that rose from the dead, the one that has power over every disease across the earth this morning, has the power of life. He's the resurrection and the life. And the question is, will you obey the simple command? Will you obey the simple command of God? That's all it takes is just to obey, to receive, just to believe upon him right now. 
Ask God that his work would be revealed in you this morning. Ask him right now. Say, God, let your work be revealed in me. Let your work be revealed in me. I want to close with this. I believe this coronavirus, you can ask the question, just like the disciples asked, why did this happen, Jesus? Why is this man born blind? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? Why is this coronavirus situation happening? Why are we all in our homes? Why are people suffering? Why is the economy hurting? Let me submit this to you. God wants to use it as an opportunity for his work to be revealed, for his glory to be seen, for his grace to be poured out in your life. And let me tell you this morning that God is quickly working on this situation. That because of this coronavirus, I believe that there is a saturation right now across the United States and the world as far as churches putting their services out online. Many people are viewing. Many people are being invited to church premieres and all, all those types of things. You may be even watching right now because you were invited. Someone shared this on your Facebook. Someone gave you the, the, the location, the link. Someone said, hey, I want you to check out my pastor. I want you to listen to our, our service online. And people are doing it. Maybe you're here because of that. That is God working in this coronavirus situation. So don't let it stop there. Let God's grace come fully to you. Open up your heart. Believe, receive what God wants to do, and he will do it. This word says he was sent to the pool called sent, and he came back seeing, and he came back seeing. Amen? That's what God wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in my life. And we want to be just a witness to the work of God in this world today. I pray that you are blessed and that you open up your heart to the grace of God and that you don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't slough, slough it off. Realize that God wants to work in your life.